Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Then the soil became meager, with great patches of bare rock cropping out, and now and then the nest of a condor in a crevice. Finally, there was nothing at all but the bare rock, and had it not been very rough and weathered, he could scarcely have ascended farther. Knobs, ledges, and pinnacles, however, helped greatly, and it was cheering to see occasionally the sign of some lava-gatherer scratch clumsily in the friable stone, and he knew that wholesome creatures had been there before him. After a certain height, the presence of man was further shown by handholds and footholds hewn where they were needed, and by little quarries and excavations where some choice vein or stream of lava had been found. In one place, a narrow ledge had been chopped artificially to an especially rich deposit far to the right of the main line of ascent. Once or twice, Carter dared to look around and was almost stunned by the spread of landscape below. All the island betwixt him and the coast lay open to his sight, with Baharna's stone terraces and the smoke of its chimneys mystical in the distance, and beyond that, the illimitable southern sea with all of its curious secrets. Thus far, there had been much winding around the mountain, so that the farther and carven side was still hidden. Carter now saw a ledge running upward and to the left, this seemed to heed the way he wished, and this course he took in the hope that it might prove continuous. After ten minutes he saw it was indeed no cul-de-sac, but that it led steeply on in an arc which would, unless suddenly interrupted or deflected, bring him after a few hours climbing to that unknown southern slope, a slope which overlooked the desolate crags and the accursed valley of lava. As new country came into view below him, he saw that it was bleaker and wilder than those seaward lands he had traversed. The mountainside, too, was somewhat different, being here pierced by curious cracks and caves not found on the straighter route he had left. Some of these were above him and some beneath him, all opening in sheerly perpendicular cliffs and wholly unreachable by the feet of man. The air was very cold now, but so hard was the climbing that he did not mind it. Only the increasing rarity bothered him. He thought that perhaps it was this which had turned the heads of other travelers, and maybe even this which had excited those absurd tales of night gaunts whereby they explained the loss of such climbers as fell from these perilous paths. He was not much impressed by travelers' tales, but had a good curbed scimitar in case of any trouble. All lesser thoughts were lost in the wish to see that carven face which might set him on the track of the gods atop unknown Kadath. At last, in the fearsome iciness of upper space, he came round fully to the hidden side of Negranek and saw in infinite gulfs below him the lesser crags and sterile abysses of lava, which marked the olden wrath of the Great Ones. 
there was unfolded, too, a vast expanse of country to the south. But it was a desert land without fair fields or cottage chimneys, and it seemed to have no ending. No trace of the sea was visible on this side, for Oriob is a great island. Black caverns and old crevices are still numerous on the sheer vertical cliffs, but none of them were accessible to a climber. There now loomed aloft a great beetling mass which hampered the upward view, and Carter was for a moment shaken with doubt, lest it prove impassable. Poised in windy insecurity, miles above earth, with only space and death on one side, and only slippery walls of rock on the other, he knew for a moment the fear that makes men shun Negranix hidden side. He could not turn around, yet the sun was already low. If there were no way aloft, the night would find him crouching there still, and the dawn would not find him at all. But there was a way, and he saw it in due season. Only a very expert dreamer could have used these imperceptible footholds, yet to Carter they were sufficient. Surmounting now the outward-hanging rock, he found the slope above much easier than that below. This was due to a great glacier's melting, which had left a generous space with loam and ledges. To the left, a precipice dropped straight from unknown heights to unknown depths, with a cave's dark mouth just out of reach above him. Elsewhere, however, the mountain slanted back strongly and even gave him space to lean and rest. He felt from the chill that he must be near the snow line, and he looked up to see what glittering pinnacles might be shining in that late, ruddy sunlight. Surely enough, there was the snow uncounted thousands of feet above, and below it a great beetling crag like that he had just climbed. It was hanging there forever in bold outline, black against the white of the frozen peak. And when he saw that crag, he gasped and cried out loud, and clutched at the jagged rock in awe. For the titan bulge had not stayed as earth's dawn had shaped it. Instead, it gleamed red and stupendous in the sunset with the carved and polished features of a god. Stern and terrible shone that face that the sunset lit with fire. How vast it was no mind can ever measure. But Carter knew at once that man could never have fashioned it. It was a god, chiseled by the hand of the gods, and it looked down haughty and majestic upon the seeker. Rumor had said it was strange and not to be mistaken, and Carter saw that this was indeed so, for those long, narrow eyes and long-lobed ears and that thin nose and pointed chin all spoke of a race that is not of men, but of gods. He clung overawed in that lofty and perilous eerie, even though it was this which he had expected and come to find. For there is in a god's face more of marvel than prediction can tell. And when that face is vaster than a great temple, and seen looking down at sunset in the cryptic silences of that upper world, 
from whose dark lava it was divinely hewn of old. The marvel is so strong that none may escape it. Here, too, was the added marvel of recognition. For although he had planned to search all dreamland, all over, for those whose likeness to this face might mark them as the god's children, he now knew that he need not do so. Certainly, the great face carven on that mountain was of no strange sort, but the kin of such as he had seen often in the taverns of the seaport Silipheus, which lies in Uthnargai, beyond the Tenarian hills, and is ruled over by that King Curinus, whom Carter once knew in waking life. Every year, sailors with such a face came in dark ships from the north to trade their onyx for the carved jade and spun gold and little red singing birds of Silipheus. And it was clear that these could be no others than the half-gods he sought. Where they dwelt, there must the cold waste lie close, and within it, unknown Kadath, and its onyx castle for the great ones. So to Silipheus he must go, far distance from the Isle of Oriob, and in such parts as would take him back to Dilathleen, and up the sky to the bridge by Nier, and again, into the enchanted wood of the Zeus, whence the way would bend northward through the garden lands of Ukronos to the gilded spires of Thron, and there he might find a galleon bound over the Serenarian Sea. The dusk was now thick, and the great carven face looked down even sterner in shadow. Perched on that ledge, night found the seeker, and in the blackness he might neither go down nor go up, but only stand and cling and shiver in that narrow place until the day came, all the while praying to keep awake, lest sleep loose his hold and send him down the dizzy miles of air to the crags and sharp rocks of the accursed valley. The stars came out, but save for them, there was only black nothingness in his eyes, nothingness leagued with death, against whose beckoning he might do no more than cling to the rocks and lean back away from an unseen brink. The last thing of earth that he saw in the gloaming was a condor soaring close to the westward precipice beside him and darting, screaming away when it came near the cave whose mouth yawned just out of reach. Suddenly, Without a warning sound in the dark, Carter felt his curved scimitar drawn stealthily out of his belt by some unseen hand. Then he heard it clatter down over the rocks below, and between him and the Milky Way, he thought he saw a very terrible outline of something noxiously thin and horned and tailed and bat-winged. Other things, too, had begun to blot out patches of stars west of him, as if a flock of vague entities were flapping thickly and silently out of that inaccessible cave in the face of the precipice. Then a sort of cold, rubbery arm seized his neck, and something else seized his feet, and he was lifted inconsiderately up and swung about in space. Another minute, and the stars were gone, 
and Carter knew that the night gun had captured him. They bore him breathless into that cliffside cavern and through monstrous labyrinths beyond. When he struggled, as at first he did by instinct, they tickled him with deliberation. They made no sound at all themselves, and even their membranous wings were silent. They were frightfully cold and damp and slippery, and their paws needed one detestably. Soon they were plunging, hideously downward, through inconceivable abysses, in a whirling, giddy, sickening rush of dark, dank, tomb-like air, and Carter felt that they were shooting into the ultimate vortex of shrieking and demonic madness. He screamed again and again, but whenever he did so, the black paws tickled him with greater subtlety. Then he saw a sort of gray phosphorescence about, and he guessed they were coming even to that inner world of subterranean horror, of which dim legends tell, and which is litten only by the pale death fire wherewith reeks the ghoulish air and the primal mists of the pits at Earth's core. At last, far below him, he saw the faint lines of gray and ominous pinnacles which he knew must be the fabled peaks of Thok. Awful and sinister they stand in the haunted dusk of sunless and eternal depths, higher than man may reckon, and guarding terrible valleys, where the bulls crawl and burrow nastily. But Carter preferred to look at them instead of his captors, which were indeed shocking and uncouth, beings with smooth, oily, black, whale-like surfaces, with unpleasant horns that curved inward towards each other, bat wings whose beating made no sound, ugly prehensile paws, and barbed tails that lashed needlessly and disquietingly. And worst of all, they never spoke or laughed, and they never smiled because they had no faces at all to smile with but only a suggestive blankness where a face ought to be. All they ever did was clutch and fly and tickle. That was the way of the night gods. As the band flew lower, the peaks of Thok rose gray and towering on all sides, and Carter could see clearly that nothing lived on that austere and impassive granite of the endless twilight. At still lower levels, death fires in the air gave out, and one met only the primal blackness of the void, save aloft, where the thin peaks stood out, goblin-like. Soon the peaks were very far away, and nothing about but great rushing winds with the dankness of nethermost grottoes in them. Then in the end, the night gaunts landed on a floor of unseen things which felt like layers of bones and they left Cardo all alone in that black valley. To bring him thither was the duty of the night gaunts that guard Negranek, and this done, they flapped away silently. When Carter tried to trace their flight, he found he could not, since even the peaks of Thok had faded out of sight. There was nothing anywhere but blackness and horror.
in silence and bones. Now Carter knew from a certain source that he was in the Vale of Panath, where crawl and burrow the enormous poles. But he did not know what to expect, because no one has ever seen a bowl, nor even guessed what such a thing may be like. Bowls are only known by dim rumor, from the rustling they make amongst mountains of bones, and the slimy touch they have when they wriggle past one. They cannot be seen, because they creep only in the dark. Carter did not wish to meet a bull, so he listened intently for any sound in the unknown depths of bones about him. Even in this fearsome place he had a plan and an objective, for whispers of Panath and its approaches were not unknown to one with whom he had talked in the old days. In brief, it seemed fairly likely that this was the spot into which all the ghouls of the waking world cast the refuse of their feastings, and that if he but had good luck, he might stumble upon the mighty crag taller even than Thox Peaks, which marked the edge of their domain. Showers of bones would tell him where to look, and once found, he could call to a ghoul to let down a ladder. For strange to say, he had a very singular link with these terrible creatures. A man he had known in Boston, a painter of strange pictures with a secret studio in an ancient and unhallowed alley near a graveyard, had actually made friends with the ghouls and had taught him to understand the simpler part of their disgusting, weeping, and gibbering. This man had vanished at last, and Carter was not sure but that he might find him now and used for the first time in dreamland that faraway English of his dim waking life. In any case, he felt he could persuade a ghoul to guide him out of Panath, and it would be better to meet a ghoul, which one can see, than a bowl, which one cannot see. So Carter walked in the dark, and ran when he thought he heard something among the bones underfoot. Once he bumped into a stony slope, and knew it must be the base of one of Thok's peaks. Then at last he heard a monstrous rattle and clatter, which reached far up in the air, and this made him sure he had come nigh the crag of the ghouls. He was not sure he could be heard from this valley miles below, but he realized that the inner world had strange laws. As he pondered, he was struck by a flying bone so heavy that it must have been a skull, and therefore realizing his nearness to the faithful crag, he sent up as best he might that weeping cry, which is the call of the ghoul. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams.